Tonight I want to share an encouraging message with you called Hope When Trouble Strikes. You know, when Christians are surveyed and asked, what kind of people does God want us to be? The majority of responses from believers say, I want to grow deeper. I want to grow spiritually. I want to know God better. I want to love Him more. Now, do you think God would ever respond to that prayer request by saying, no, I don't think I'll grant that desire? So I want to pose a question to you as we talk about it. What does it mean to grow deeper spiritually? What does somebody look like when they're doing that? There are passages about this in the book of Philippians that kind of take your breath away. Here's one of them in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Pause. How are you doing on that one, huh? So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Unbelievable words. To grow deep spiritually is the most magnificent thing that could happen to a Christian. It means that increasingly I'm helping the poor with what I have. I'm growing more patient with irritable people. You know, I'm a little bolder to share my faith with others. Servanthood is trumping success, and now it's becoming a way of life to me. More and more, I'm into humility more than recognition. So how do we cultivate these kind of people? How do you go about pursuing depth? Oh, you know, you're going to love this. I just know. What is the number one factor God uses to produce spiritual growth in people? When people have been interviewed and asked that question, what was the number one factor that produced spiritual growth in their life? Here's what they said. Oh, you're going to love it. Suffering, pain, difficulty, challenges, and problems. My, my, my. Merry Christmas, joy to the world. Isn't that good news? I thought you'd like it. Now, James puts it like this in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your life, don't resent them as intruders. Welcome them as friends. Realize they serve to produce in you the quality of endurance. He then goes on to talk about how often character is formed in difficulties. Can you see that spiritual depth is not mostly a matter of getting more information. Information is important. But if you want to go deep with God, one of the things you can expect is problems. <clears throat> now that you know that, how many of you either have a problem or know where you can get one real quick? See, coming real soon to a home near you. How did Paul respond when the bubble burst in his life? Well, let's read it. Philippians 1 verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone I am in chains for Christ, 
Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the Word of God courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But, Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of it, I rejoice. Wow. A well-known psychologist named Albert Ellis has written a book on the ABCs of emotional life. It's a model for understanding how people respond to circumstances. Ellis goes on to say that the great illusion in life is that the things that happen to me control my outcome. So that if good things happen to me, if I get a raise, if it's a nice day, if the price of gas goes down, if somebody pays me a compliment, I feel good. Little James Brown there. If something bad happens, then I just go down. I go to pieces. I'm at the mercy of that. That's not true. Ellis says that is not true. It is my belief about what has happened to me that ultimately determines the outcome. It is my beliefs that determine the way I feel. That's why two people can be in the same situation, experience identical circumstances, and have opposite responses to it. Why? Because the difference is in their beliefs. That's primarily the difference between cats and dogs, and I've got both. A dog looks at his owner and says, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you care for me. You must be God. Ah, but a cat says, you feed me, pet me, shelter me. You are always taking care of me. I must be God. Yeah. So here's Paul's situation. He's in chains. He doesn't want to be in chains. He, he wants to be out preaching good news. And not only is he in prison, he doesn't know what the outcome of this situation is going to be. Perhaps execution. He might die. Not only that, he has problems with people who are in the Roman government. He also has problems with people who call themselves brothers and sisters. Ain't that the truth? Some of them are preaching the gospel trying to be successful in order to make him look small. My church is bigger than your church. My ministry is bigger than your ministry. Yeah, it still goes on. Paul's got problems, and he knows that the Philippians have heard about it, and they're prone to worry about it. So this is what he writes. I want you to understand about the things that have happened to me. He says, here's what I want you to get. It's true. They changed me up, and I know that sounds bad being in chains. But it turns out it didn't stop the gospel at all. He said, guys, we wanted to reach Rome with the gospel a long time. Now I'm in Rome at the expense of the Roman government. How cool. And we've wanted to infiltrate the power structure. Well, here's what's going on, he says. They bring members of the Roman military in and chain them to me. And they got to sit and listen to me talk about Jesus. And this goes on hour after hour until they get exhausted. 
Well, they lead that guy away and bring in somebody else and chain him to me, and he's got nowhere to run, and he's got to listen. <laughs> it's, it's thought there were about 9,000 people in the palace guard. And Paul says, they're finding out about me. Now, we know from the book of Acts, the two governors, Felix and Festus, find out about the good news. A king named Herod Agrippa, Roman centurions, military officers and their wives hear about the gospel. And all of this is going on. And nobody would have ever said at the start, how are we going to get the gospel dispersed through the world and through the power structures of Rome? Oh, I know. Here's a great idea. Let's get Paul arrested. Nobody would have planned that or thought about it. But Paul says, that's what's going on, baby. And while the intent of the authorities was that people would see me chained up, and that brothers and sisters in the church would be intimidated and say, I'm not going to say anything about the gospel. I might get arrested too. In fact, exactly the opposite happens. People see me in chains, Paul says, and they see it's not bothering me at all. And they're saying, well, if it doesn't intimidate old Paul, then I'm not going to let him intimidate me. And the boldness factor instead of going down, shoots up. And the results is the same, this, this name of Jesus becomes lifted up even more. And the movement just keeps growing and growing and growing. Now, it's true, they might kill me, but Paul goes on to say, here's my belief about that. If they kill me, I'll be released from beatings and suffering and terrible food in the prison, and I'll get to be with Jesus full time. Well, that's not scary to me at all. And the outcome of all this is that I rejoice. I'm a happy guy. Yeah, I'm in chains facing possible death, but I'm a happy guy. So here are the ABCs of Paul's spiritual life. A, life's difficult, life's tough, my circumstances. B, Jesus is Lord. That's Paul's fundamental belief. And C, I will rejoice. Those are the consequences to the right belief. One day Jesus said to his friends, in this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have problems. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So, life is difficult, Jesus is Lord, therefore I will rejoice. You know, many times in Scripture, different people looking at the same set of circumstances come to completely different outlooks depending on their beliefs. Moses sends the 12 spies to look at the promised land. They all see the very same thing. They all look at the same giants, the same opportunities. They all confront the same enemies. But 10 of them come back to Moses and say, hey, brother, no way we should go into the promised land like God's telling us. We went to the land to whence you sent us. Yeah, it does flow with milk and honey. Gas is cheap. But the people who live there are powerful. Most of them have master's degrees, and the cities are fortified and large. The Amalekites live there, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the websites and the mosquito bites. We ought to go back to Egypt. Well, two of the twelve, Joshua and Caleb, looking exactly at the same problem, the same land, the same city. They say we should go up at once 
and take possession of the land, for we are well able to take it. Wow. Now, what's the difference between the conclusion of the ten and the two? It comes down to their core belief. Joshua and Caleb believe they are in the hands of a great God. Paul sits in chains in a prison. He believes he's in the hands of a great God. Everything hinges on that belief, not on the stuff we think it hinges on. Now, this is where the challenge part comes in. Part of what makes Paul such a dangerous Christian is that he doesn't expect his circumstances to be easy or pleasant or comfortable just because he's following God. You know, folks, let me pause and say, we got to become tougher people. we got to quit running around acting like yippee-ki-yay. I, I mean, you, you need to be tough. We fold up at the first bit of tribulation that goes on, and usually it's a good examination to show me what my core beliefs really are, how strong my faith really is. And I have to start saying, okay, God's somewhere in this thing. He didn't cause it, but he's somewhere in this crisis, and I want to find out what he's doing. I want to get involved with it. See, I know he's up to something. He uses everything. Everything isn't good, but he uses it for my good and his glory. So I'm going to quit sucking my thumb, drinking Maalocs, and over-sanitizing my hands. So, so Paul is saying it doesn't particularly trouble him when trouble does come, when it's not easy, when it's not comfortable, when gas prices aren't low, you know, when there's a toilet paper shortage. He's not worried about it. He's got a deeper aim for his life than pleasant circumstances. His aim is to make his life a conduit where God's love and God's grace and God's power can be poured out into whatever circumstances he finds himself in. In a sense, Paul is saying, here's what I want you to know. I've given up trying to get God to engineer my circumstances that I want. And I'm devoting my life to partnering with God in the circumstances I happen to be in. So folks, there are two ways you can do life. The first one, kind of a default mode in our society. You can just spend your life trying to do circumstance enhancement. You know, spend your life trying to upgrade your lifestyle all the time. I call it the customer syndrome. But it never produces joy, not in you, not in the people around you. You're not happy with the service. You know, you're not happy with the time the plane departs. You're not happy with the food. You're not happy with the seat you're in. Service is too long. It's too short. It's too hot. It's too cold. It's too loud. It's too... Oh, shut up. <laughs> Can you see in people that is a life of circumstance enhancement, that a life of lifestyle upgrade never brings permanent lasting joy to anybody? It's pretty insidious, though, isn't it? And there are people who spend their whole life wishing for another set of circumstances. Somebody else's job, somebody else's body, somebody else's talent, somebody else's gifts, somebody else's house, somebody else's stuff. And this can even creep into your spiritual life if you're not focused. These people get the idea that God's job is making sure that the circumstances of my life 
are pleasant for me, comfortable for me. I want God to upgrade my life, where I live, what I do, whom I'm with, and the stuff I own. So what are the threats that could keep us from becoming what and who God wants us to be? Well, Paul's greatest threat, people wanted to kill him. And the Roman government, they're after him too. See, perhaps our greatest threat in America is pressure to succumb to materialism, excessive consumption, perfectionism, and arrogance. It's true, you know. Our greatest threat is that we'll spend the rest of our lives trying to do circumstance enhancement. See, the church in America has to be careful that our aim is not to create a church full of satisfied customers. And I'm committed to giving a few really bad messages sometimes to make sure we won't have a church here at Summit of Satisfied Customers. Let me explain what I mean by that. Starbucks serves gourmet coffee. And my job as a consumer is just to consume it and let them know if the quality is slipping a little bit so they'll stay on top of their game because I'm a consumer. I go to Krispy Kreme. And they're really good gourmet donuts, oh dear Jesus. I mean, they're coated with Colombian cocaine, I think. Krispy Kreme is a really good gourmet donut provider. And my job is to consume donuts and let them know if the quality slips a little bit. So here's what we have to be really careful about around Summit Christian Center and any church. We don't want to start thinking about Summit as a really good religious service provider like a gourmet church where my job is to consume spiritual services. And folks, we live in a society where in America it's all about circumstance enhancement or lifestyle upgrade. So I go to really nice restaurants and eat really good food and go to really nice stores and get really good clothes and I go to a really nice gourmet church. But folks, we're not in the religious services provider business. We're in the partners in life saving business. See, we're partners in the good news business along with brothers and sisters all over the world, most of whom have a whole lot less than we have had for the last 2,000 years. But it's so easy to go down the customer syndrome road, and when you go down the customer road and start living life that way, you feel kind of stagnant. You're not really growing spiritually. And when you recognize you're not growing spiritually, you start asking, well, whose fault is it I'm not growing spiritually? Who's supposed to be making my spiritual growth happen in me? And can you see it makes you more and more focused on you? It fosters a complaining spirit. It makes you never satisfied and an irritable to person to be around. I remember back in my rock and roll days, remember the Rolling Stones? Oh, they had a hit song called, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. But I try and I try and I try and I try but I can't get no satisfaction. And folks, in the part of the world where you and I live, that's our song. I can't get no satisfaction, but I keep on trying and trying and trying. I keep upgrading. But it hadn't happened yet. And we begin to think, maybe the next purchase, maybe the next house, 
maybe the next job, maybe the next spouse, maybe, you know, the next rung on the corporate ladder. Paul says, I want you to know it's not about your circumstances. It's not about lifestyle upgrades. There's another way of doing life. And the other way is instead of focusing on how I'd like my circumstances to be different, I wake up in the morning and say, God, what do you want to do together today? And we live in the partnership of the good news with him. We're partners together with each other, all bringing whatever kinds of gifts and resources that we have as we become a community, church, of partners in the good news business then every problem becomes kind of a chance for God to act in surprising ways and a little diagnostic that reveals to me what it is that I actually do believe. See, in every moment, there is a God who, as Paul says, is faithful. Our God is faithful. Now, why don't you take a minute and type that in your chat, our God is faithful. Go ahead, type it in. And every moment is an opportunity to practice that belief. Sometimes circumstances work out in really cool ways, and sometimes they really suck, right? They end up in chains. But Paul says, doesn't matter. Our God is faithful. I think I'm in control of so many things, and I get so frustrated because I want my own way. Are you like that? But I'm not in control, I find out, and I don't have to be. And probably it's a very good thing that I'm not, and so it is with you. Our God is a faithful God. And when the bubble bursts, our God is a faithful God. And when the pain increases, our God is still a faithful God. And when circumstances don't look so great, our God is a faithful God. And when the chains come, our God is a faithful God. And when the virus strikes our nation, God is a faithful God. So here's the challenge, folks. Look at some area of your life where your circumstances are not the way you want them to be. Maybe at work. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe it's a marriage or relational problem. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's a financial thing. That's going on real big in the country right now. Maybe it's intense. Maybe it's a nuisance. Maybe something quite severe. So rather than just trying to get God to change the circumstance, try a simple prayer. God, in this mess, where do you want me to be at work with you? God, how can I partner together with you in these circumstances right where I am in surprising ways? Now, right where you're watching this live stream, would you just bow for a moment of prayer or pause? Maybe you're in a place where you need hope and God is near, says, call on me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things of which you know not. Our God is unlimited and he loves you and he cares for you. And we have the privilege to ask him, to help us. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.